formal authorization in the Islamic science of spiritual purification. Sheikh Omar is currently a staff physician at the Mofit Cancer Center and an assistant professor of oncological sciences at the University of South Florida in Tampa, where he resides. We are very blessed to have Sheikh Omar uh, in our midst. It is uh, our pleasure and honor to have him here and a means of uh, inspiration for all of us here listening. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make his words beneficial for us and make it a means of change, a means of getting closer to Allah. Ameen Ya Rabbil Alameen. Without further ado, I call upon Shaykh Umar. <coughs> Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadi al-ladhinu s-safa ma ba'd. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. So the topic um, that the organizers asked me to speak about uh, is uh, sort of navigating through the vicissitudes of marriage. So what's vicissitudes anyway? What does that mean? It means that Molanas aren't stupid. Yeah, no, seriously, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserve them. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them strength. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give them istiqama. Uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala guide them and guide through them, inshallah, and give them uh, the firasa to uh, navigate the waters of uh, you know, modern society. Uh, you know, looking back, I have, I don't know, almost two decades of experiencing uh, dealing with communities and community issues and people's issues, and it's really, you know, it's a two-edged sword. It's, on the one hand, uh, it's really, I mean, it's a privilege because people sit down with you. I mean, Mufti Azim was telling me, he said, oh, how, how are your one-on-ones going? That's your khususiyat, like just sitting with people, talking one-on-one. -on -one. But the amazing thing about that is that when you sit with people, they're opening up their most private portions of their life to you, and that's a trust. And, and because of that, just, you see a lot. And you see a lot of crazy things. You see a lot of unpleasant things. Um, and, and after, and I'm telling you, almost 20 years, one of the things that comes to the fore is that there's no such thing as a perfect marriage. It just doesn't exist. That's Pulp Fiction. That's the stuff that movies are made of. In real life, there's, there's no perfect marriage. What you have are two imperfect people living in an imperfect world, doing the best that they can, and sometimes not. Right? That's probably closer to reality. The ideal of marriage is not the situation when all the stars align, because they never do. It's when people are able to look past their own differences, they're able to look past their own challenges for something that's bigger than themselves. When they are able to sacrifice for others, when they're able to prefer others over themselves, when they're able to aim for ideals that are bigger than something like happiness or comfort or connectedness or romance or fun, when life becomes about things which are more meaningful like principle, or God. So earlier this week, this was a very busy service week, it was early in the morning, 
you know, after the Hajj time, I had a couple of, I don't know, an hour or two, and I tried to put together some of the salient um, principles that have, um, you know, arisen over time that I would like to share with the, with, um, the audience with regards to how to really deal with you know, things that come up in marriage because marriage is going to have ups and you don't need anyone to give you a talk about the ups because that's, you know, a foregone conclu conclusion. It's easy to deal with situations which are good because they're fun and they feel good and I mean, that's not a problem. The problem is with the problem. And that's what we need to sort of talk about and learn how to grapple with. So the first concept, concept number one or principle number one is, has to do with the concept of friction when you have two bodies of matter. The way that the physical world works is that anytime you take two bodies of matter and they come in contact with each other, there is inherently a certain level of friction that arises between those two bodies. And the fact of the matter is no one is free from this. No one, right? You can't just get up one day and feel like, I don't feel like gravity. Right? Sorry, you don't get a choice. It's, that's life. So in the same way, friction occurs. And there's two types of friction. Right? And for different, depending on, on the body that you're dealing with, there's different coefficients of, fraction, uh, of friction. So some bodies, when they're in, juxtaposed to another body, will have more friction, some less, but friction always, right, generally speaking, exists. Um, and so the idea is that when you have, and there's two types of friction, there's static friction and there's kinetic friction. And usually static friction, which is the friction that causes when, when you move something from a resting state into motion, is going to be more than um, kinetic friction when something's already in motion. Right? These are some background principles just to keep in mind. In the same way, when, when you have friction, what does that do? It generates something called heat. Right? When, and when you, that's why when you're cold, you rub your hands together especially maybe not in Florida where it's always doesn't get cold, but over here, I mean, you see people, right, and, and doing this because what are you doing? You're creating friction by moving two bodies against each other. So in the same way that two physical bodies, when they're put juxtaposed with each other, creates friction, you take two human beings and put them in their, each other's orbit, meaning they make contact as they do in relationship, there's going to be friction. It might be less, it might be more, but there will be friction by the very nature of that interaction. And that's going to produce heat. And that's not something that you need to freak out about. Because if you want to move, right, if you want to become kinetic, if you want to grow, which requires movement, you have to overcome that friction. It's not a choice. Right? Otherwise, you will be stagnant. And what we find is when things stagnate, bad things happen. If your butt stagnates, it coagulates. You get blood clots and you're going to stroke out. If, you know, you put water and it's you leave it and it's not moving, then it becomes a cesspool of mold and fung fungus. I mean, in nature, things have to be moving. That's how you create life. I mean, what happens to a human body when it, you know, stops living? When it's dead, movement stops. So if you have to move and you want to keep life in your relationship, you have to move and then you have to confront this friction. And I said, no one is free from this. A person went to Umar to complain about his wife and when he came to outside of his house, he heard his Umar's wife speaking 
you know, to the to Omar radiallahu in a way that was, you know, loud. So he's like, if Amirul Mu'mineen can't get away with this, I mean, what, who am I? I'm, I'm, I'm taking off. And then he, then he you know, mentioned it to Omar radiallahu and he said, yeah, you know, she was saying some stuff, but, you know, she also does a lot of other things. She takes care of my kids, you know. I mean, she's, she, he didn't focus on, on that. He focused on, on the good. And so that's part of life, you know. So I'm just giving you an example from even the best of generations. It's like it happened. And in the next, in principle two, we're going to look at the Prophet ﷺ. Did friction even exist in his relationships? And surprisingly, the non-politically correct answer is yes. Right? And that's, I mean, it's in hadith. You can't take it away. But the problem was, that's just, that's life. That's not a problem. The problem is how that friction was overcome. And that's what's elevating so you can't get rid of friction, but you can lower the coefficient of friction, right? So the smoother two bodies are, the easier it is for them to move past each other. If you take two metal balls, which are very smooth, you're gonna have a very low coefficient of friction. If you have steel blade against ice, low coefficient of friction. That's why you can go ice skating, right? As opposed to like Teflon. Try to drag Teflon across Teflon. It doesn't work very well. Some people are just built out of Teflon, right? Actually, that's the one substance where the coefficient of friction for static and kinetic is basically equal. It doesn't get easier, you know, even when you start moving. Because the idea is that you know, when you first work, you start working a relationship, is really hard. But when you get used to movement and compromising, then it gets easier over time because you're in the habit, but not if you're a tough lot. Anyway, so how do you create two bodies which are smooth, right, which are refined? The way that you do that is through spiritual purification, right? Through spiritual growth. When a person refines themselves spiritually, when a person perfects their own character, they become smooth. It's easy to get along with that person. When you come into their presence, you don't feel the same type of friction. Even if, you, even if you're rough and you try to impose that roughness on something, because they're so smooth, it just rolls off. If you take two kids and you put them in a room, what are they gonna do? They're gonna fight, right? Because they're immature. You know, I was in the masjid, we were doing etikaf one time, right? And one of the like, grumpy old uncles was sitting there. And the class, every masjid has to have one. And then someone, like the kids were playing around in the back and someone threw a water ball and I think it hit uncle, you know? And he looks back and there's just two kids. Like they're just like both sitting there and they're like, Right, like he did, he did it's a, the kids, I mean, both of them couldn't have done it, it was one of them, but it, the first initial, you put kids, they're gonna fight. He hit me first, he was looking at me like that. I didn't look at you like that, you're just saying that, stop lying, just back and forth, tutu meme, right? And when you have little kids, they'll do that. When you take people who are spiritually immature and you put them in a room, they'll also fight. They'll always fight. So, People have to grow up. Spiritual maturity is important. And as you mature spiritually, you lower that coefficient for friction. And the epitome of spirituality, um, or spiritual maturity, is achieving a state of taqwa. Right? Where you fear Allah so much that you don't mess up with anyone. Now, a person came to Shaykh Nuh, and he talked about, he asked him about the verse about hitting in the Quran, wadribuhunna, right? And he responded in such a beautiful way. He said, uh, he said, the operative for the Muslim man in a marriage is al-Muslimu man salim al-Muslimuna min lisanihi wa yadi. 
that the Muslim is the one that the other person is safe from their hand and their tongue. People should feel safe with you. They should feel comfortable with you. They should be able to trust you. That you should be a sanctuary of aman. And you can't do that until you become a man of taqwa. People in times past, they used to say, marry your daughter to a person of taqwa because if he loves her, he loves her. And if he not, at least he will fear Allah in her regard. It's a safety. Right? It's a, it's a, and these people, when they achieve this type of taqwa, um, their chest becomes like the ocean. And this is one of the beautiful things. Look at the ocean. You could drump the garbage of the world in it. The ocean doesn't change. It doesn't ripple. It doesn't change its color. Right? When you're that wide, people can throw all types of insults at you. But it doesn't shake you because you got a wide chest. But if your chest is only this much, then every insult fills you up. And because it fills you up, that's why you react. The, the idea of having a wide chest is when people provoke you, it doesn't create any ripples because you're that big, spiritually speaking. Right? You're spiritually speaking that big, it doesn't bother you. So that's, that's not, no big deal. So spiritual maturity, and the other aspect of it is emotional maturity. Something that people don't really talk about very much, but this also lowers the coefficient of friction. So people think that, oh, if I just do a lot of dhikr and you know, I read a lot of Quran, then automatically I'm spiritually mature. And so why am I still fighting with my wife? Because they're emotionally immature. Right? And technically, if you're doing those ibadat the right way, it would also create emotional maturity because it perfects the character. And this is a separate discussion for a separate day. But you look at individuals who are even non-Muslim, sometimes they have very good marriages because they do things, they make rules like, um, you look at the Obamas, right? I mean, they've written whole books about this and you know, they have good principles. Like we're not gonna you know, talk to each other when we're mad. Uh, we're not gonna go to sleep mad at each other. That when we have some type of, um, you know, some type of friction that we're not gonna speak in anger. Like whatever principles that they'll come up, right? When another person is doing something, just respecting that and giving them time that when they need time or giving them space when they need space. These are all aspects of emotional maturity. Like you know, when one person gets hot, the other person cool down. And when the other person gets uh, you know, cold, the other person, uh, when the other person is cold, then you should be cold as well, right? But vice versa, uh, that's part of emotional maturity and that's also important. The second concept uh, or principle is let's look at how the Prophet ﷺ handled friction uh, or handled conflict, right, or the downs in a marriage. The strife did occur in the marriages of the Prophet ﷺ. And the Prophet ﷺ, you know, you could say uh, he wasn't wrong in these situations. But in marriage, it's not always about who's right or who's wrong. Like I said, it's people trying to do the best that they can in the situation they are. I'll give you, there's a very, I have two stories here and I could probably do a whole weekend just talking about the lessons from these two stories. It's really, they're that deep. They're very long ahadith. But the first situation, very shortly, is the situation of ifk, right? Many of you may know about this story. They were coming back from Bani Mustalak. There was an expedition. Um, Aisha radiallahu anha, she lost her necklace. She went to go look for her necklace. The, the people in the caravan, they picked up the hawdash, put it on the camel, and they went off on her way, and she got, she, by the time she came back, everyone's gone. So now she's in the middle of the desert. She was a young girl. She's like around 15 at the time, so she's, but she's very smart. 
And she says, there's no way I'm going to find where they're going. So I'm just going to stay put right here. And what will happen is they'll figure out that I'm not there. And then they'll come back and get me. So she goes to sleep over there. There's a person who you should bring up the rare. When they used to have these expeditions, this person at this time happened to be Marwan. No, no, Safwan. Radiallahu an. He was coming you know, back. Um, and you know, he's just to make sure no one got left behind. They used to have these safety measures. And he comes back and he sees Ummahatul Mu'mineen sleeping on the floor. And subhanAllah, he had so much adab. He said, Aisha radiallahu he said, he didn't say a word to me. Didn't have any chit chat, this, that, or other. He said, Inna lillahi wa inna ilahi rajiun. Right? He said, SubhanAllah, Ummahatul Mu'mineen is over here. And he had so much adab, he wouldn't even let her walk in front of him. He said, You stay behind and I will go in front and let's catch up with the caravan. And he just kept on doing this istirja and the dhikr. He didn't say a word to her. And she put on her niqab when the fact that you know, when he had come. She also talks about veiling herself to show like how pure that interaction is. She, and they came and they, they get reunited with the caravan. Abdullah ibn Ubay bin Sul, the serpentine head of the uh, munafiqeen, he starts a, 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 a lascivious rumor that they had... You know, intimate relations or they had inappropriate relations and that's why they were bringing up from the rear and that started spreading in the entire community like wildfire right and Aisha so happens that she fell sick for a month so she didn't know what was going on long story short she finds out about this and she's like you know like are you serious people are saying this about me especially for a woman of Iffa and a woman of Hayat this was like worse than death and so she's really worked up about it. She finds out that it's true, and she is so distraught. She starts crying and crying. And it's described in Hadith that she said that I used to cry until I felt like my liver would burst. She was crying that hard. I don't know if you've ever cried. Like many men don't cry, but if you've seen someone cry like a baby, but just imagine not doing that for a day, but doing that for a month. She couldn't sleep at night. And the Prophet ﷺ was in a very, no wahi was coming, first of all, right? There's no revelation. And, you know, someone brought a message and he's fighting internally with, I have to be objective about this. This is the woman I love more than anyone else in the world, right? And it was his, I mean, she was the most favorite, she was the favorite thing to him in the face of the earth. But he also had a commitment to the truth and not to be blinded by that. So he didn't just like, no, no, she can't do that. And not, he's like, he has to investigate. He's the leader of the state. He had to go through the protocols and he tried to remain objective. And he tried to keep his emotions out of it. So he, wasn't, he didn't make a statement to her like, oh yeah, honey, I know you didn't do anything like that. He's just, he didn't say anything to her. And you know actually how long it was before he, they, actually start, they actually talked about this? It was a month. Anything that, just imagine how much maturity it takes to do that. Anything that happens in our relationships, we're at each other's neck in like five seconds. A month. He didn't say anything, she didn't say anything. They said, let's give it time. And in the interim, you know, like he actually calls some of the Sahaba, Rasulullah to give mashura. He says, what do you say about, you know, this situation? He took advice from Ali radiallahu and he took advice from the other Sahaba. They said, no, she's just so amazing. She's like this. They give different, they said, go and ask you know, the, the slave girl that's with her. She'll tell you about her. Because who knows? Sometimes you think everything is 
black, but it's actually white. And sometimes you think this happens in life. You know, what I mean, I have, you have these weird plot twists in your life, and like you're like, oh my god, I've been living with a drug dealer my whole life. I mean, I, I see these type of cases, and you're like, whoa, I never would have thought something like that could happen. Truth is stranger than fiction. So he was objective about it. He said, what do you think? And then they asked that girl, and she's like. I don't know anything wrong with Aisha Radhiallahu, except sometimes she leaves the dough and she goes to sleep. Like, she's, there's nothing in this department that she's that type of woman, okay? Okay, but, you know, like someone had already planted the seed, you know, and this is happening. So Rasulullah after he said this, now it's not about him, right? Someone, third party, objective, has sort of said about this. So he goes out and he says, who's going to take, you know, care of that person who's basically hurt me about my own family? They're talking smack about her. You know, about this person, this man, uh, who I know nothing but good about him. He was talking about Safan radiallahu an. And then there was this whole commotion. In any case, finally, after a month, the Prophet actually goes to Aisha radiallahu an. And then they talk. And he said that, you know, yeah, Aisha, you know, if you didn't do it, he actually started out with saying, no, Rasulullah. He said that, you know, the tashahud, he said, Amma ba'd. He was just very judicial about it, just keeping emotions out of it. And he said, look, Aisha, if you did it, Allah, if you, you didn't do it, Allah will, will speak of your innocence. Just be patient. And if you did it, just seek forgiveness from Allah. Allah will forgive you. Imagine if your wife cheated on you and you're saying, you're not even telling her, tell me about it. I want to know, you know, like, she's like, I don't need to know about it. Just fix it with Allah. I don't want you to get messed up in the akhirah because I care about you that much. You care about the person that cheated on you so much that you don't want them to screw up in the akhirah. That's character. And, you know, Aisha radiallahu an, she's been going through it, you know, when all of these situations are, are, are going on. And, you know, she, um, she tells her father to reply, Abu Bakr said, like, I don't know what to say to Rasulullah. She says, Mom, come on. Right? And Mom's like, what do you want me to say to Rasulullah? And then she said, I was crying for a month, and then all her tears dried up. Right? And she gives this master oration. And she said, basically, but wallahi. Right? She says, there's no doubt that you've heard this stuff about me. Right? And it's planted something in your heart. And you've taken, and she doesn't know the fact that he said, maybe that he said this, uh, you know, openly to the people that, you know, my, I know this about my wife. She's thinking that he's believing it. He's not been talking to me for a month. She said, you believe it, right? And she said, you know, if you believe it, there's nothing that I'm going to say is going to convince you, right? And, he, and she said, Allah knows I didn't do it, right? But if I say I did it, then it's going to confirm something that you already, I didn't do it. And it's going to confirm what you know. And if I didn't do it, I tell you, you're not going to believe me anyway. She says, the best thing I can do, and she's so worked up in this moment. She said, the best thing I'm going to do is the same thing that Yusuf alayhi salam's father, she couldn't even remember the name Yaqub. She was so emotional in that moment. The best thing I'm going to say, فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ وَاللَّهُ الْمُسْتَعَانُ وَعَلَى مَا تَصِفُونَ She said, I'm just, I'm just going to leave it to Allah. She didn't say, how could you do this? How could you not trust me? She didn't get into that. She said, I'm just turning to Allah. The Prophet turned to Allah. She turned to Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed Right? She, he revealed her innocence. Rasulullah came, came and he told, he, there was an eye, and she's like, I was, felt like I was too small that ever an eye could be revealed about little old me. But it did happen. And we recited till the last day.
And what happens is, she, you know, Rasulullah comes and she's giving her this great news. Her mother is telling her, go and meet Rasulullah, you know, give him a hug. And she says, no, I'm not giving him a hug. <laughs> she says, I'm just going to, I'm thanking my Allah. Allah's the one who, she was hurt. She was hurt. She's like, you, sh you shouldn't have, I mean, it should have been clear. Now the Prophet was coming at her from a different angle, right? He's like, I know you're okay, but I'm not going to have, you know, when you're in that type of position, because especially when, and sometimes I find myself in those positions, you know sometimes someone didn't do something, but you can't give the inkling that you're being unfair, right? You just have to keep that very straight and firm and objective stance until the truth becomes clear. And the Prophet some knew that the, you know, the truth would have become clear. There's other times that the, the, the you know, uh, in, in the interest of time, I'm not going to go into it, there was another situation where the Prophet was away from his wife for... 29 days, right? And he was away from them. Umar an, he had to come. He tried to cheer up the Prophet ﷺ. People were crying in the masjid. People thought that he divorced his wife. It was a big deal because there was a lot of stuff that was going on. I'm not going to go into, like for example, one of them had broken his trust. He told, told her a secret. She told one of the other wives. He was really hurt about that. They were asking about like, increasing the expenditure. Umar an, he comes and gives it to him. He's like, what are you talking about? If you, know, you mess up with the Prophet ﷺ, Aren't you worried that Allah's going to get mad at you because Rasulullah is mad at you and you're going to destroy yourselves? Like, are you guys stupid? What are you guys doing? And he's trying to talk sense into them. It was just like, I mean, you talk about emotion and drama. Like, all of this is going on. And what happens is after, because the Prophet said, I, 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 he's like, I just need to get, there's just too much going on. And they just were asking for more expenditure because they were living such a hard life. You can understand it from their side. And the Prophet said, so like, this is not what we're about. Right, this is not what we're about. This, at least for my family, this is not what I want. There was that. There was other things going on. And probably the other thing that, that, probably t that did tip it over is because something that happened, he had made uh, you know, a certain uh, decision not to eat something, and he got admonished by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he's like, I love you all. You're my wives, but I don't love you more than Allah. You got, you got me messed up with... I mean, it wasn't his fault, but still, like, it created some dissonance in that relationship with Allah. So that was like the tipping point. So he's like, that's it. I had it with you guys. I'm, I'm just taking some time. He didn't fight with them. He didn't tell them, you're so haram. You did this. You don't have any fear of Allah. He didn't go into that, right? It wasn't, it's just like, let's just take some time, some space. And he turned to Allah. And he was there for one month. And after one month, he comes down. And Aisha radiallahu anh, she looks at him. And he's like, no, it's like the moon is coming. And she's like, what are you doing here? She's like, it's not one month, it's not over. She's like, it's only been 20 di 29 days. And she's like, I know because I've been counting every day. I've been counting every single day. So he comes down and he said, this month has 29 days. And then Allah subhanahu wa reveals an ayah. And then he, that ayah comes and it's basically the wise have You have a choice to choose the dunya, you can get it, you can go on your way, or you can come and say with the Prophet Look at the respect, look at the freedom, look at the autonomy. There's no blame on you. You can't live this life, this is too hard for you. You're not a bad Muslim. You didn't have enough taqwa. That's not the issue over here. It's okay, we get it. You can go on your way, respectfully, civilly, nobly. But if you want to live with the Prophet you're gonna get something in the akhirah. So he, the first person he came, he told Aisha and he says, don't make a hasty decision. 
right? Because sometimes women can get emotional and all this and there all this thing. He, he just wanted her. He's not suing that because he just, obviously he wants to be with her, but he also didn't want her to mess it up for her own self. So he says, just go and make mashura with your parents before you make a decision. So he's giving her advice. He's like, what do I need to ask my parent for? I'm choosing you. Are you crazy? I mean, she loved him so much. There was times where she would be mad with the Prophet ﷺ. And Umar talks about this. He used to say that, you know, when, the, the, when we're in Mecca, we had upper hand on the women. And then we came to America. No, Medina, sorry. And then, um, so then we came to Medina, and then they learned from the women there. And they, because he was telling something to his wife, and then she's talking back to him. Are you talking back to me? And she says, yeah. And she's like, the wives of the Prophet ﷺ do it. Not only do they talk back to him, they even stopped talking to him for an entire day. And then Umar is like, what are you talking about? They're like acting up like this with the Prophet Let me go there and give them a piece of my mind. All right? And especially his daughter is in the house of the Prophet He said, maybe I'm not going to say something to all of them. I'm going to set my daughter straight, right? At least he's like, are you a fool? Are you going to mess up your entire life? Are you ruining yourself? Do you have any sense? Like he's going talking some sense into her. So he goes over there to like, you know, but this was happening the, in, in, the, in the house of the Prophet there was times where, the, where Aisha radiallahu the Prophet says, I know when you're not happy with me. And he says, how do you know that? And he says, you say by the Lord of Ibrahim. Right? And he said, no. she said, the only thing I leave out is your name. I mean, I still love you in my heart. I'm just not mentioning your name. Yeah, I'm sort of grumpy, but that's okay. In all of these situations, what you see, right? You see maturity. You see um, discipline. You see self-control. You don't see a lot of Okay, let's sit down in therapy and talk about our feelings, right? No, they just turn to Allah. And that is a lost art in this day and age. People run to therapy, they learn to... People just don't do ruju ilan, they don't turn to Allah anymore. And sometimes, because people want an immediate answer. She said that to me, I need to fix it right now. He did that to me, I need to fix it right now. Wait a month, it'll probably be a non-issue. And you see that in the life, in the domestic life of the Prophet they would wait and Allah would clear it up for them. It's the indirect approach. Because when you try to approach these problems directly, they're too complicated. There's too much emotion, too complex communication, too much problem solving skills. There's a lot of things that sometimes you're just not going to overcome it. When you turn to Allah SWT, He takes care of it for you. Right? So there, there's, a, you know, there's a sheikh, when he would get into any type of conflict with his wife, you know, he might know he's right, this and that. He wouldn't he would just make dua to Allah, right? He wouldn't, he would just remove himself from the situation. Ya Allah, bring love between our hearts, correct the situation, let her see if she's wrong. But even if not, just, I don't like the strife, just make it go away. You just turn to Allah. Instead of talking to them, the more you're going to talk in that situation, it's only going to make it worse, right? So that's principle number two, turning to Allah. When, principle number one is reducing friction. Principle number two is turning to Allah. Uh, when you're in uh, situations of a strife. Con principle number three is, I'm going to go f more quickly through these uh, because we, there's 11 of them and I don't know if we'll get through all of them. That sometimes you might dislike something but it's actually good for you. And sometimes you like something but it's not good for you. Sometimes people have this, Allah knows and you don't know. People in their minds have an idea of what it means to, for expectations for an opposite partner or what's the right thing. But that might not be good for you. What, for a person to maximize from their relationship, they should feel that 
I am grateful for who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in my life. And that person that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in my life, there is no better person in that position than that person that he's placed. Because this is the placing of Allah. I'm happy with that placing. So say you have a mouthy wife. There's, there must be some khair in that for you. Right? Say you have an insensitive husband. There may be some khair in that for you. Because it's building you. It's creating character. And this is Sheikh Amin. You know, he's one of my teachers. He gave a talk yesterday when I did marriage counseling with him before I got married. And this was one of the advices that I stuck with me my entire life. He said, when you are confronted with, you know, difficulties in your marriage, do not see it as a bad thing. See it as a challenge. It's an opportunity for growth. And I've always tried to do that. When things happen and things are not going in your way, you're like, man, this is an opportunity for me to become a better person. And that is part of the secret why you know, marriage is half of your religion. Because you couldn't develop the other half unless you had someone who lives in your house and pushes your buttons every single day. Right? It's a personal trainer. That's how you got to think about it. It's a personal spiritual trainer. And Allah subhanahu wa gave it to you for free. You don't even have to pay them. Right? It's pretty cool. So, um, and also remember that the grass is never greener on the other side. People look and they say, oh, you know, if I just, my husband was like that. You know, there, every person has good, every person has bad. No person is a, a, a saint and no person is a complete demon. Maybe there's some exceptions, but no, not really. No, Iblis, right? Iblis is all bad and angels are all good. Human beings are somewhere in the middle. It's just you know, a gamut. I mean, the anbiya are ma'asum. But by and large, people have their feelings. And it doesn't mean that they're active feelings, but people are going to have their feelings. And I can tell you because I know what's behind door number one. I know what's behind door number two from my thing. So you think that person is perfect, but he has a drinking problem. You think that that girl is perfect, but she had an affair. You think, I mean, there's so many things that happen, right? I just had a case this last week where persons, you know, about to get married to this person, they went to a marriage, it was, you know, they got caught up, it was a one night set, and they had an you know, affair on their fiance, like, a, just shortly before they're getting married. And now it's, they're distraught. I mean, these type of things happen. Don't ever think, right, the grass is greener on the, be content with what Allah gave you. And if you can be grateful, for, be grateful for your husband, be grateful for your parents, even sometimes when it seems that they don't make sense, be grateful for your kids, even when you want to you know, pull out your hair, those are the best kids in the world for you. Right? Stop looking at, oh, oh that graduating kid, he's graduating from Alam course, I wish he was my son. No, your son is the best son for you. And if you can have that attitude, I can tell you that will fix so many things in your home, domestic life. And so many things in your relationships. Because people need to feel... Imagine if you're the kid and you think your parents hate you. How can you create a relationship like that? If you're you know, in a husband and wife relationship, but you think your wife thinks that you're a loser, how can you have a healthy relationship? Right? You've crippled that relationship right from there. But if you know that your husband appreciates you, or your wife appreciates you, or respects you, or honors you, at least you have that first building block where you can build something on top of that. Okay, that's uh, concept number three. So sometimes you might dislike something, but it's actually good for you, right? And I gave the story yesterday about the, the woman who used to give her husband a hus hard time, and she said, look, I made you a sheikh, right? So number, concept number, uh, principle number four is a little understanding goes a long way, okay? Um, this, and what I mean is true listening. Stop people when they get into discussions. They're not listening to the other party. They're trying, already thinking about what is my point against their point. They're thinking about what they want to state. Just stop. Truly listen to what the other person is saying. You might learn something. 
you know, uh, and true understanding is very hard to come come at. You know, there's, you know, there, like I was speaking with another sheikh. He says, I see these these people. They come to me, and you know, the husband is about to lose it. He's gonna like literally go crazy. He's gonna get a divorce. He's going berserk because he's completely unsatisfied in the bedroom. And this finally comes up to the wife, and she's like, "Well, wait, I thought everything was fine." She's like, "I'm nice. I'm nice to him." And yeah, we just like, you know, we're cool together, mashallah, you know, I make food for him and he comes home, we're raising kids. I didn't even know that was a problem. And inside, he's like teetering on like having an affair and he's going on these, I mean, like it's disaster on that side, but they're so far apart. Because in her mind, she's like, well, I'm nice to him, so why does he have a problem? She's not understanding what his needs are. On the other side, you have women. A lot of times women, when they have affairs, if you read about it, it's not necessarily because they caught up, get caught up in the heat of emotion like guys, uh, of the moment like guys. It's because they feel emotionally barren. They feel lonely and they're looking for excitement. They're looking for some attention because their husband doesn't talk to them, doesn't care about them. Someone that makes them feel alive, that makes them feel valued. And they're just lonely. So then they get into this relationship, they find those feelings, and then this comes as a byproduct about from that, but it was never about that. But understand, like there was a guy whose wife cheated on him. I mean, maybe his first impulse was to punch her in the face or like do something like that, but he didn't. He just sat down with her and he said, what happened? How did you get there? Like, how did we deteriorate to the point where this happened? Let me just try to understand. Listen, right? No, in any situation, it will go a long way and have emotional intelligence. There's a very long story, and I don't have time about it, but it's an inspiring story um, from the New York Times Modern Love series, and it's really inspiring, right? And it's titled, Those Aren't Fighting Words, Dear. And in the interest of time, I'm not gonna go through the whole story, but basically what happens is, you know, like, you know, you're 20-somethings, you have these dreams, and eventually, you know, you're sitting, you're skinny and sitting at these bistros, and eventually, 20 years later, you know, those dreams come true. And you have the farmhouse, and you've raised your kids, and you've done Disneyland, and, and you've loved and cared for them, and, you know, you're, you're doing well financially, and you arrived at all of those things, and you've lived this rich life 20 years together. And one day, your husband comes home, and he tells you that, I don't love you anymore. And I don't think I ever loved you. And it flips your world upside down and he says I'm leaving and I think the kids would want me to be happy and you know and the woman she writes about her feelings and she's like no she wants she wanted to beg him to stay and to cry and to yell and and she did nothing of that she just looked at him and she said I don't buy it and he's like what and she's like, and then she says, look, it looks like you're going through some things right now because it was about him and he was trying to drag that into the relationship and she's like, I'm not going to come into it. This is about you. It looks like you're going through some things. Tell me what we can do as a family to give you the distance that you need, right, so that you can find your, your footing. And he says, you're not getting it. I don't love you. I don't want to work things out. I want to leave. And she says, I don't buy it. And he's super frustrated and he's super angry. So he keeps on throwing these punches and she keeps on ducking. She's just not getting drawn into it. And she said, look, this is, we'll have a separation. These are the things, these are the rules. You know, uh, you who keeps the keys, who does what. And look, we're gonna go for you know, a picnic. If you'd like to come, you're more than welcome. If you don't want to come, you don't have to come. He ends up staying and for a month he just drops out. They did, you know, July 4th barbecue. She's there with the kids and he decides to go to his friend's house. Imagine how much that hurts, 
And she talks about, like, there's good days where she's, like, she takes it smiling. And there's other days she's just hitting, just mauling over in her mind how much she hates him. Like, the kids are running through the sprinklers, and he's, like, he's not here. But she doesn't say a word. She gave him time. She, she said, I loved him from afar. She didn't give up on him. And after, like, and so much hurt, then she says, you know, to add insult on injury, he t- comes up to her and he says, I don't like who you've become. Imagine, like, he's attacking her integrity. She's like, what have I done? Like, we built everything together. He's a sucker punch in the stomach. And she's like, I don't buy it. And slowly, after four months or six, she's thinking, is he, you know, with another woman? Is he on drugs? I mean, she's thinking all these things, but she just, he didn't leave. After six months, he comes, he comes home, and he mows the lawn. After six months of being completely irresponsible, not working, all this stuff, being a jerk, he mows the lawn, and she says, a guy who's going to leave doesn't mow the, his own lawn. And then he fixes, after a while, he fixes a door that's been broken for eight years. And piece by piece, they come together again. Emotional intelligence. And what was happening in his life is he felt like a failure. It was a midlife crisis. And I'm not going to go into his psychology. It's very interesting. But she understood that what was going on. She didn't get drawn into it. She gave him time and support for him to get out of it. And they were okay. But she said, I'm not going to let you hurt my family. I'm not going to let you hurt us and not let you be reckless. And things got worked out. Emotional intelligence. Principle number five is try to always be the party that gives more. This is one of the times that a lot of times people get into fights because they feel like they're putting too much in. I'm working, you're working, how come I always have to do the dishes? Well, I'm working all day and you're just sitting on your, you know, at home and, you know, whatever, watching, you know, doing YouTube, and you can't even clean the house, like, and they get ticked off about, and people are just looking for parity, and they feel like one party's just giving too much, and the other party's not. In our, in our religion, you want to be the party that gives more. Sheikh Abdul Adhami, he said a beautiful thing. He said, For men is a level above them in the akhirah. He said, try to be the person who has more ihsan on the other party than they have on you. That's what it means. Be the bigger man. That's what it means to be a man. Not to be a dictator sitting on your lazy boy ordering chai. It's not a man. Zin wa arjah. Right? That someone is owed something, give them what they owe, and give them a little bit more. The upper hand is better than the lower hand. So if, and in a relationship, let me tell you, there's always one party that's going to give more. It's never fair. If you're looking for fairness, go to court. You're not going to find it at home. It's just not. Right? There's things that you can't measure. So stop trying to chase that. That's going to get, and, uh, you know, like, I tell people, like, you know, you can be right. What do you call a person who's right, you know, in a, in a marriage? Divorced. You have, to, you have to learn how to let go. It's okay. Number, concept number six is create circumstances for growth, um, but don't expect change. There's big study where they looked at like, I don't know, hundreds and thousands of years of marital life aggregate and they looked for uh, common themes that resulted in successful marriages and there was one thing that stood out from all of that research and what that was was don't expect the other party to change look people are stubborn as nails okay and you know you've been trying you've been ranting the same thing to your wife for 20 years you know Einstein he talked about this he's like you know stupidity is trying to do the same thing again expecting a different result 
I mean, how we use the same thing for 20 years, it doesn't work, we just get more frustrated, and sometimes we do the same thing again. Try something else. Try something else, and the something else is stop expecting the other person to change. Change yourself. You have no control over the other person, you have control over how you react to that situation. So your husband never irons his clothes. You've been ranting to him for 20 years, iron his clothes. At least you have a husband with iron clothes. I mean, just saying. It might not be fair, but it gets you where you need to go. Um, that doesn't mean that people can't change, right? and people shouldn't change. That's a separate discussion. But people change at their own trajectory. And when people are on that trajectory, give them space, give them the support to, and I've seen that. You know, a husband never helped his wife, and after like you know, 40 years of marriage, he starts doing the dishes. It came, it came late, but it comes, right? But if a person is patient and supportive, and now they say, oh, now you want to help? Where were you for the past 40 years? Right? Then he's not going to do dishes for the next 40 years. Like, no, just be wise about it. Okay, principle number seven is be patient. Be patient. You have to have a commitment to the relationship ab above the partner. Marriage is serious. This is the same mithaq, this is the same covenant Allah SWT took from the Anbiya. Halali The most hated of the halal things is talaq. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. And so the reason to stay in a relationship is not because your spouse, your husband, or your wife, or even the kids. It's because the relationship in and of itself, as a principle, is something that should be preserved. And your ascription to that principle allows you to forge forward because it's the right thing to do. Patience is rewarded. It's not going to be lost. If you're patient for 25 years, Allah knows. And He'll reward for you from that from far better than anything that you could have imagined. And Allah SWT will be with you. In Allah Sabirin. Concept number or principle number eight is put something in the bank. And what I mean by that is that, look, when you start off in a marriage, Allah SWT makes a deposit. He puts a certain amount of mawadda, and He puts a certain amount of rahmah in your bank. Right? And He says, take care of this, and if you invest it properly, it's going to keep on growing. And what happens, and it's not mahabba, it's mawadda. It's a, it's a, and I don't have time to go into linguistics of that, but it's that love that doesn't ask for love back. It's very pure, right? I mean, the first day that I got married to my wife, I felt like I knew her my entire life, subhanAllah. It was just a, something miraculous. You see, it's an ayah of Allah. You know that Allah SWT is, like, you know people call the honeymoon phase? It's not honeymoon phase, it's an ayah of Allah. Is that mawadda, that rahmah that He put you in that thing? Now you have to just preserve it and you have to grow it. Now, when you get into a fight, when you're disrespectful, when you're unfair, when you lie, when you cheat, when you're, you know, get angry, when you raise your voice, when you're getting into fights and arguments, you're withdrawing from your bank. When you, and if you withdraw from the bank long enough, you're going to go bankrupt. And, before, and after you become bankrupt, you're going to go into debt. And most relationships are running in the red for a long time. And you can only do so long before that breaks. So start putting things back in the bank. Do nice things with each other. 
smile at each other, spend time with each other, laugh with each other, connect with each other, inside the bedroom, outside the bedroom, even intimacy, this whole Islamic etiquette of that. The Prophet ﷺ would even, he would put his lips at the same place that his wife would put the lip on, on the glass to show how connected he is. How much he loved them. He made them feel loved. He built on that intimacy. He built on that mawadda. And part of that is that when you, if you've had a bleed in your relationship of withdrawal, also learn how to do some accounting. Some people forgive, but they never forget. Right? If you don't forget, it's like opening a hole in your bank account and letting it just rip. You're just losing money. It doesn't do anything. If you're gonna, if you've already gone halfway by forgiving the other person, just forget about it. Don't keep on holding red stamps. Number concept number nine is also knowing in some situations when it's time to quit. When do you have to tap out? The law actually exists for a reason. There's a subset of cases which are pretty severe in which it is warranted. And it's not heroic to carry, out, you know, carry on a sinking ship that's a titanic. You're hurting yourself, you're hurting your deen, you're hurting your akhirah, and you're hurting your kids. Sometimes people stay in relationships for the kids, but as sometimes if you're fighting every single day, and it gets nasty every single day, and you just don't have it in you to mature fast enough that you're gonna hurt yourself and hurt other people that you care about your kids, you might be better off just parting ways, right? And that's something to discuss, and make istikhara upon, and make mashura upon, and, and, and you know, consult and arbitrate, and you go through the appropriate steps, but when everything fails, there is life after marriage. Sahaba did get divorced, and you can have happy lives after marriage. And I know people who have amazing marriages, second marriages, and it's, we need to remove this taboo as if somehow someone got married, I mean, divorce that they're like damaged goods or there's something wrong with them or, I mean no it's life okay and we have to have a much more open attitude about that concept number or principle number 10 that it's, it takes two to tango and what I mean by that is if you want to fix a relationship typically it works much 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 better if both people are invested I mean, trying to pull this from one side is very, very hard. It's Herculean. Well, let me just tell you. Um, and I tell you, oftentimes, like, when people come to me, for, I don't do marriage counseling anymore because it's like, it's a sinkhole. Um, it's like way too much time. Nothing gets done because no one wants to listen. They just want to come and vent, like, dirty laundry. And I have better things to do with my time than listen to what, like, what, what he did yesterday to you or what she said. I just don't care. I mean, I care about you, but I don't care about that. Right? Uh, and because you, I, t I mean, literally, you could sit with me and like in like three minutes, I could tell you point, I, I tell them like, make a list of your grievances, make a list of your grievances, make a list of what things you want to see the other party to change, make a list of your other party to change. You can like cross that, that's not Islamic, that's not Islamic, that's okay, that's Islamic. Then you give them a list of three things, you just do these three things, you'll be fine. No one wants to do those three things. So what are you coming for me for? Right? It's, it's worthless. Right? It's, but if you really want to make it work and you're willing to make a change, then Allah will put barakah in it. Right? And don't think that, oh, I can't make that change. It's true. You can't make that change, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can make that change happen. And therapy can, and counseling and all these things can help, but not always. It's not like some magic bullet. But these things help and sometimes it's multifactorial. There are going to be some situations where the other person just doesn't want to walk. And for short periods of time, it's okay. Which means that if they don't want to walk, then you pick them up, 
and you carry them, right? And if you're not, and your back is not strong enough, then make your back strong. Being spend, spend more time in the masjid, increase your relationship with Allah, you know, make your chest wider spiritually so that you can carry them, right? Until you can get them to shore and then can figure themselves out. And then the last advice I'll change, uh, I'll stop with this is uh, having, and I had sub points in many of these principles, we didn't have time to go into it, but the last principle is um, share a bigger dream. Meaning like marriage, sometimes people think that marriage is all about each uh, us, right? Our experiences, our vacations, our house, our cars, all these material things. That's not gonna make a perfect marriage. If you want a successful marriage, so what will get you through the downs is when you have a shared vision and you are on the same team working for that particular vision. So for example, like me, I, at one point in my time, I had this crazy thing that I just wanted to become you know, study dean. And my wife, she stuck through me thick and thin, right? Saving, doing whatever sacrifices when it came to achieve that goal. We were a team. Now for the rest of my life, I'm going to be indebted to her for that, right? She had to forego so many years of her own you know, needs and wants and stuff to support something that was my dream. I mean, it's obviously her dream as well. She shared that, but something for me, right? And then uh, the, her term came and she had to go to Zambia and I lived for three years by myself, you know, and that was tough. Those were some of the toughest years of my life. But you had this shared dream because, you know, Dean was important and doing the work of the Dean was important and when you shared that bigger vision and it could be something like okay we're going to support Darul Salam we're going to support the ulama we're going to make our children hafal we're going to you know alleviate the suffering of autistic children we're going to help people in Palestine we're going to stop sexual assault we're going to you know improve just making the world a better place in some way and when you can work together for that that thing becomes so big that it drowns out a lot of the noise, right? So when she says something, and because you're so busy working on that, you have less time to fight about the stuff that at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If I ask you this year, most likely almost everyone in this, in this you know, audience did have a fight with their wife in the one month uh, that dates, predates to this date, right? So you go back one year, June last year, sometime in June, you must have had a fight. Right, probably on the same day. If I ask anyone in this room, what was that fight about, no one will remember. Not a single person in this room remembers what it's about. It just shows you how important that was. But what lasted, right? Say you built something together, right? You built your children together. You built institutions together, communities together, your akhirah together. That's the ultimate thing, building your akhirah together. That's gonna last. So create something, a legacy together with that shared purpose and that will go long, a long way farther than staring at each eyes uh, at Starbucks. Sheikh Omar for the very beautiful advices, practical advices regarding our relationships. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make our relationships means of joy for us in this world and a means of joy in the hereafter as well. Ameen ya rabbil alameen. Just a quick uh, point that I remembered. Uh, one of our asatis I used to often mention that there are two relationships in the Quran that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
describes with the words Mithaqan Ghalidha. And Mithaqan Ghalidha The two words Mithaq and Ghalidha literally translate as a very strong covenant. So these two relationships have a very strong covenant. They're a very tight bond. And these two relationships that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes in the Quran with these two words are the, our relationship with Allah and secondly our relationship with our spouses. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all the tawfiq to uphold the rights of both of these relationships and make it a means for our joy and success in this world and our joy and success in the hereafter. Ameen Ya Rabbil Alameen. Moving on inshallah, we will have uh, a rendering of a nasheed by Qari Muhammad Nu'man Ilyas. Qari Muhammad Nu'man Ilyas is a teacher of the Alim course at Madinatul Ilm in Detroit, Michigan. He studied in Pakistan and did Dawratul Hadith Sharif with Hazrat Qali Ilyas Saab, Hafizahullah Ta'ala wa Ra'ah, here in Michigan in 2011. Uh, we are honored to have him as well as his esteemed father as our guests here today. Without further ado, I call upon Qari Muhammad, uh, Qari Muhammad Nu'man Ilyas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Nasheed toh main inshallah urdu mein padunga. Kitne saathi urdu jantay hai is majmeh mein? It will work inshallah. <laughs> you can translate to the next who is sitting next to you inshallah. And get reward inshallah ये तो बता कुछ समावो के सा प्यारा होगा ये तो बता कुछ समावो कैसा प्यारा होगा सहने में आका बैठे होंगे गिरदस हाब का हलका होगा बैठे होंगे गिरदस हाब का हलका होगा 
بزمِ نبوت میں صدیق بھی فاروق عثمان و علی بھی بزمِ نبوت میں صدیق بھی فاروق عثمان و علی بھی چاروں یار سارے یار ستارے ہوں گے بیچ میں چاند چمکتا ہوگا چاروں یار ستارے ہوں گے بیچ میں چاند چمکتا ہوگا آپ کا دامن تھاما ہوگا سہن میں آقا بیٹھے ہوں گے گرد صحاب کا حلقہ ہوگا مسجد نبوی یہ تو بتا کچھ سما وہ کیسا پیارا ہوگا جزاکم اللہ خیران قاری نعمال الیاس for the beautiful rendering of the nasheed for those who do not understand uh, Urdu, just the general theme uh, of the Nasheed. Uh, the poet is describing and really asking Masjid al-Nabawi what the atmosphere must have been like with the Prophet والسلام, uh, in the courtyard of the Masjid with his beloved Sahaba عنهم, around him and the children and the beautiful atmosphere, the buzzing and the Rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that gathering. We make dua that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gather us all with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam when he resurrects us on the day of judgment. Ameen ya rabbil alameen. Next. <clears throat> there is uh, a quick car announcement. Uh, one car that needs to be uh, moved. It is a Honda Civic, silver color, plice, uh, license plates, Illinois, CH, Four seven four two three. Again, uh, this car needs to be immediately moved. Honda Civic, 
uh, silver color CH47423. No gathering is complete without, you know, a uh, mentioning of a car license plate. So alhamdulillah, we have that ticked off as well. Uh, before we have uh, Hazrat Qari Saab's talk, inshallah, uh, we will have a recitation of Quran by another one of his children. Qari Ammar will, inshallah, recite some, for, uh, some Quran for us before uh, the, the, the speech of his beloved father. Without further ado, Qari Ammar. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم وينجي الله الذين اتقوا بمفازتهم لا يمسهم السوء ولا هم يحزنون وينجي الله الذين اتقوا بمفازتهم لا يمسهم السوء ولا هم يحزنون الله خالق كل شيء وهو على كل شيء وكيل له مقاليد السماء كفروا بآيات الله أولئك هم الخاسرون قل أفغير الله
for the beautiful recitation of the Qur'an, uh, giving us a glimpse into, inshallah, what we'll be uh, listening to tonight after the Maghrib Salah with our Qur'an night. So everyone, inshallah, is, requ is requested and generously uh, requested to be here, inshallah, uh, after the Maghrib Salah for our Qur'an night. A few housekeeping uh, announcements before I introduce our honorable guest. Uh, firstly, Alhamdulillah, uh, Hafiza Habiba Khan, who is a student here at Dar Salaam on the sister's side, memorized the Quran. Uh, she is 13 years old, and Alhamdulillah, today she is reciting the whole, entire Holy Quran in one day. Takbir. Allah. 